Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, to ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here again. Um, I, uh, I'm glad we are meeting and uh, exploring the scriptures. Uh, and as I said last time, the goal is to be spiritually enriched by our Bible study not, you know, the Bible it shouldn't be perceived as some kind of book we're going to analyze and dissect and study intellectually, but that instead of us analyzing it, it is going to analyze us. It's going to reveal things to us. That's the spirit through which we're reading the scriptures. Um, and that requires humility. And humility is the theme of the readings today. Uh, during this first week of Lent, and in fact throughout the whole month, the readings are all from three books, with the exception of uh, special feast days. The readings for all the days this month are from three books of the Old Testament, specifically the prophecy or the book of Isaiah, the book of Genesis, and the book of Proverbs, those three. And it's very interesting because they're very different, those books. They all have their own purpose and their own uh, stories and, and teachings. But if you look at it and when you start reading the readings for each day, you'll notice a kind of pattern, and that is the book of Isaiah, the prophet of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is warning people. He's telling them, you're not living according to God's laws and this will lead to your destruction. So repent and return to God. And Genesis is all about the creation of the world. This beautiful, perfect, holy world that God created and how he creates Adam and Eve and all the animals. And then Proverbs is about how to live a holy life, a righteous life. So you take those three and you think, well, how are they related? Why, why did the church pick these three? And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Genesis is who we were and what we had. Isaiah is telling us who we are now and where we need to go what we need to return to. And Proverbs is telling us how to do it. Right? And so this is the wisdom of the church. It gives us these readings, especially during Lent, to guide us, to awaken us, to encourage us and inspire us. And every day has a little bit, a bit of a different message. Yesterday's was really about cleansing, being... Um, cleaning up your life, your soul. And God says, you know, you have blood on your hands, literally. Isaiah saying, you have blood on your hands. Wash yourselves and be clean. Of course, that's a reference to baptism. 
Um, today, the readings are similar in kind of uh, offering a message, and I think it's humility, and specifically about the dangers of pride. So pride is the vice, and humility is the opposite. It's the virtue. So in Isaiah 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. Um, so let's read uh, chapter 2, verse 11. On the lofty looks of man shall be hum- The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Okay. So I'll pause there on that first verse, and I'll read it in the other translation. For the eyes of the Lord are lofty, and man is humble. The haughtiness of man, that's his pride, right, haughty, haughtiness. The haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. So what do you think is that day? What, What do we mean by that day? Every day and Judgment Day. Right, exactly. Every day and Judgment Day. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, Dennis, could you read verse 12? For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon all who are insolent, arrogant, high, and lifted up. And they shall be humbled upon every cedar tree of Lebanon high and lifted up, and upon every oak of Bashan, and upon every monument. Oh, I'm done with it. Okay. So, so we are in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 2. Yeah. So, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon all who are insolent, arrogant, high, and lifted up, and they shall be humbled. And upon every cedar tree of Lebanon, high and lifted up, and upon every oak of Bashan, and upon every mountain and lofty hill, and upon every high tower and fortified wall, and upon every ship of the sea, and upon every site of beautiful ships. In other words, everything. And so keep that in mind, this image of men and nature and everything in the world. All right? There's gonna, you're gonna, that's going to connect to the Genesis reading. Okay? Um, Athena, can you read verse 17? Every man... Every man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of man shall fall. The Lord alone shall be so again just kind of repeating that when God comes in the second coming or even on every day as we said we are being humbled by his presence even though there are people who refuse to be humbled uh, who, who pretend that God doesn't exist or don't believe God exists the more that you act that way the more you're going to be puffed up in your own eyes, in your own sense of being, and um, you will lack humility. In other words, if you do not have God, you will make yourself into God, right? That's the human kind of tendency. The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Continue, uh, verse 18, Pamela. 
but they shall hide all the things made by hands. Continue. They, okay. they shall carry them into the caves and the cracks of the rocks and into the holes of the earth from fear of the Lord's presence and glory of his might when he arises to strike the earth. Isn't that interesting? So the things we make with our hands, we're, the people are going to kind of hide them. Why would they hide them? So From, they're not destroyed. So they're not destroyed? Yeah? And they, we, it's like we hide our, our own sins in our heart. We don't want them to be exposed. Yeah, that's true, right? But he's speaking, there's a shame, like there's like, it's almost like I stole these things from God, and I'm going to kind of, he, now he's coming, and I'm going to kind of hide them. So it's like Adam and Eve. Yeah, exactly. It's like Adam and Eve. That's right. It's like this sense of shame. Why? Why? Because I stole it from him. I didn't attribute these things to him. So now I think it's mine, and I'm going to hide it. Well, those are the lucky people who are already ashamed, but it's even worse if you're not ashamed and you're just hiding it to cherish it because you actually cherish it. It doesn't exactly. You're knowingly not repenting in a way. And that's the real tragedy, isn't it? To, to have that kind of attachment mm -hmm. to things, to obsess about them and make them idols, which is what he says in the, in the next verse. Uh, go ahead and read after. What number of verse is that? Oh, I think we're in 20 now. Okay. In that day a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship, uh, to the moles and bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Mm -hmm. So uh, now silver and gold could be actually silver and gold, but really anything of value that's actually worthless in terms of when you place it before the glory and grandeur of God. That if I've made objects, materialism of this world, something that is, I've cherished and treasured, when I see it in the presence of the Almighty God, it is absolutely worthless. <laughs> it means absolutely nothing. And that only happens when the light of God shines on me and, and exposes that. It not only exposes the material thing as being worthless and nothing, but exposes my attachment to it and the, the, the tragedy of that, the tragedy that I've made this my God. And we still do that, don't we? We still do that. We all do that. We all have our little things that we still hold on to. And this idea of dispassion, uh, well, I'll read a quote in a minute from St. John Damascus, is very related, to, again, to Adam and Eve. Uh, and, and so that's, again, why we have these three readings from Isaiah, showing who we are and warning us, Genesis, who we were and how we were created to be, and Proverbs, what we can do to return. Again, the, the mind of the church giving us this wisdom. Uh, so, made to worship worthless, worthless, worthless things and bats so as to enter into the holes of solid rocks and clefts of the rugged rocks from fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Uh, obviously, the wrong kind of fear at this point, right? Not the fear of God that we are cultivating in church, in our worship, which is more of awe and reverence for God. This is the other fear, which is terror. Right? Um, 
and the glory of his might when he arises to strike the earth. I think it was in one of your emails, um, something about the, the contrast between Judas, who feared the judgment but didn't repent. Right. And then, the, and then Peter, who was just as disloyal but mm. repented. Yeah. The two different kinds of fear and the different results. Absolutely, exactly. The two kinds of fear. One, is, one saves and one mm -hmm. self-condemns. And, you know, the father say, if Judas had turned around and asked for forgiveness, he would have been forgiven, right? Um, and, and you can even, just to go back to that, you can even sense that a little bit when, when Judas appears to Christ in the garden. And what, is, what does Christ say to him? He just, he says his name. He says Judas. And it's almost like he's trying to wake him up. Mm -hmm. like, Judas, what are you doing? <laughs> because uh, he was his friend, right? Um, sever yourself from such a man. Here's the commandment. Sever yourself from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils. For of what account is he? <coughs> whose breath is in his nostrils. Very interesting verse, which takes us to Genesis. So let's turn to Genesis. Um, Chapter 2, verse 4, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. Everyone on page 5. In the, in the Orthodox Study Bible. Okay, I'm sorry. That's all right. You'll get there. Just breaking it in still, huh? <laughs> breaking in that Bible. Yeah, it's new. I just <laughs> haven't edited it. I'm not familiar with it either. That's all right. It's doing fine. Okay, so chapter 2, verse 4. And here we are in the first two chapters of the Bible, talking all about the creation of the world. And what's interesting about these first two chapters of, of Genesis is it's, the creation account is repeated in slightly different, uh, with slightly different details. Um, and this is the second time it's repeated. Um, and it uh, starts with verse 4. Let me read that. This is the book of the Genesis of heaven and earth when they were made. In the day the Lord God made heaven and earth. Before any plant of the field was on earth and before any herb of the field sprang up, for God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. But a fountain came up from the ground and watered the whole face of the earth. Then God formed man out of dust from the ground and breathed in his face 
the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Okay, so the creation of the world. Um, and one, a couple things to point out here is God creates the entire world out of nothing. Okay? He does not choose existing matter and create the world. He creates it out of nothing. He calls it into being through his creative power. Only man he makes out of pre-existing matter. And not just any matter, not gold or diamonds or valuable things, but the most invaluable thing, if, if, if there is such a thing, dust of the ground. And, and even dust is like sort of just, just a little bit of the, you know, uh, the fine residue of ground, not even actual chunk of dirt or ground, but the dust of the ground, okay? So you see here this paradox of man who is this glorious being, I mean, so much complexity in how we're created, in our anatomy, in our minds, our brains, just incredible, right? Yet, we're made out of dust. So there's an interesting paradox. And, one, and it's humbling, in one sense, to us, but it speaks not about us. Well, it does, in some sense. It speaks more about God, what God can do with dust, right? And now we relate this to this verse from Isaiah, which shows people forgetting that they are dust and thinking they are something more. And, and the church is reminding us, you are dust, but you are glorious dust. <laughs> you are divine dust, if you will. That's the paradox. It's an incredible paradox and irony. Any thoughts on what does that tell you? What does that speak to you when you think, when you hear that? We are soul. Huh? We are soul. Soul? Everything else is insignificant. Uh-huh. Okay. Did you mean soul like we have a we soul? Have the spirit of God. We have the spirit of God in us? Yes. But our bodies matter as well, right? Our bodies. I don't see it as particularly valuable. The body? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. That's, uh, that's something good to talk about because the body is valuable in the sense that when in this verse, because God first creates the body out of dust and he makes it in this amazing creation. And when he creates the body, God, when God creates something, it's not dead. There's no such thing as death at this time. Everything God creates is alive, whether it's the plants, whether it's the, at the molecular level, all the things of creation. I mean, even the word creation implies something that's alive, right? Um, everything has motion and is animated as soon as God creates it. So when God creates Adam, Adam is alive. 
but he's missing something still. He could have created him just like that, and Adam would have been alive, just like the animals. Until he breathed. Until God breathed into him. But when he breathes into him, that's not what makes him alive. That's what gives him the Spirit of God. Right? And so the Holy Spirit at that time enters into Adam and makes him a living soul. In other words, he had a soul, but now it is a living soul that has true life because it only life, life can only come from God. So that's really important that you understand this. God does not create dead things. When he creates Adam, he's alive. And what distinguishes him from everyone else, every other creature, is that God breathes into his nostril the Holy Spirit, his own spirit, right? It's coming out of God, entering into him. He does not do this for any other being, any other creature. So the body of Adam is sanctified, not only by virtue of being created by the hands of God, right? But now it's even divinized. It is, it is created, it is, it is generated at a whole other level and God himself resides in Adam through his Holy Spirit. That's who we were. That's who you, you and I were at one time. Our nature, our human nature, was that, had that much grandeur. Okay? And that is what we've lost. Uh, and so now, that same body that we have, that we're born with, has to again become divinized, has to again receive divinity in order to be fully what it was meant to be, restored into what it was meant to be, restored to its original nature. And this happens in the church through the sacraments. This is why we receive God through Holy Communion, through baptism, through all the sacraments. And we are again being restored and sanctified and uh, fulfilling our own design. Without those things, we are incomplete. We are incomplete. We are broken. Does that make sense? Yeah, but... <coughs> God in His wisdom also created, creates uh, animals. Uh, for whatever reason, for for our for for man or whatever other reason, the only thing that's different, even though that animal lives, it does not have a spirit of God within it. Right. So yeah, the we our body. It lived, but it didn't because it had no spirit of God until God breathed into it. Mm -hmm. He created life, but he didn't give it. Purpose. Okay, that, yes, you're absolutely right. So why would God put that extra element of himself into Adam? Why couldn't he have just created him just like all the other animals? 
That's a hard a puzzle. <laughs> That's a puzzle. Relationship. Exactly. So I have a little bit different take, you know, from what I've experienced. I'm not sure why he did life. it. Um, I, I see uh, through the readings that we are creatures, and just like you said, the plants, mm -hmm. and the sand, and dust, and the trees, and our, our physical body came from that, but we're also constantly nurtured from it. So it's this, this, that circle that, that we have the gift um, of the animals to be uh, companions with, or to eat and nourish our bodies and these plants. And all of this is just th that beautiful, complete mm. completion of God's gift. And for us to remember, and then to see that um, we are, again, through coming to church and taking the sacraments, that we are only a part of that, that we're special because God gave us that choice to be relationship with him. He said, I'm, we, you are like us, and we want to have a relationship. And that's our choice to, to join that relationship. But we're all still intertwined and um, all a part of each other on this earth. Mm. Living, all living things. Well, the relationship is exactly the correct, uh, a correct way of understanding that God creates us. He's our creator. And he puts something within us, as you said, in order to, for us to have a relationship him, with him, not only as our creator, which would still create a level of distance, right? Like a painter painting a painting right, the, on the canvas, it's now an object that he's created out of his imagination. And it exists on its own, independently. The only relationship between him and it is maybe his signature on it. He didn't paint the painting with his blood. If he had, then it truly would be a part of him. Mm -hmm. But he used paint, right? But God, in a sense, creates us with himself. He puts himself in us, right? And not only do we come out of his mind, his imagination, but now he enters even into us through his Holy Spirit. Well, before, before, before the fall, that's what we were. Man yeah. was these beings, mm -hmm. our ancestry, but these beings walked with and talked with and communed with God. Right. They knew his footsteps. Mm-hmm. And why it's always been a puzzle to me. Why would God create something so virtually insignificant as us mm. in comparison. Mm. I have never understood it. I think that's what we're talking about, is that paradox, right? Um, it's, it's, it's hard to really pinpoint, but when you look at who God is, we can, we can discern God's personality, if you will, by looking at his works. 
And the fact that he does this shows his generosity, shows his overflowing love. That is his nature. Um, his creative love, right, that, that creates all things and not only as objects, as though he was some kind of, I don't know, you know, uh, distant God who likes to create things. Master toy maker. Master toy maker, <laughs> I like that. But he creates beings in order to have a relationship with them. Uh, he wants to share his love. He wants to share. And again, with human beings, he gives them this relationship so that he puts his breath and a part of himself into them, his grace, his Holy Spirit, so that man now has a direct connection to God, not only as his creator, but as his father, right? An actual bond, an actual connection, and that he will always be attracted and desire to be united and communing with his father, just as all of us have that with our own children. We'd like to be together, right? To go back to the beginning. No, I'm saying how he was created. Yeah, but yeah. go back to the beginning before the fall. Well, we're still speaking about the fall right now. We're, I'm yeah. sorry, we're still speaking about the time during the fall, before the fall, forgive before me, the before fall. the fall. And then we're, we're talking about how Adam was created and with what virtues and what abilities. And that's important to keep in mind, to, and that's what the church is always reminding us of. It's like, remember who you are. Remember what you've been given. Yes. Remember how you were created. And now, another thing to point out is, Adam is a kind of, is intended to be a kind of steward of creation and, a, and a, also a priest of creation. Because he contains with himse within himself both the earthly and the divine. He is both earth and heaven. He is like a hybrid. And God creates him specifically for this reason, so that man becomes the, the vehicle, the vessel of communion between the created world and the uncreated world, the earthly and the divine, matter and spirit. So that those two are not separate things. Okay, that makes sense. Right? That makes sense. And this is what the Gnostics couldn't understand. The Gnostics, early heresies, said, well, the matter in the earth doesn't matter. It's, 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 it's insignificant. But God says, no, your matter matters. <laughs> right? Because it, I created it. And it's a vehicle through which you will commune with me and become also it's divine. A mm? It's a link. It's the vessel. And so Adam is created in this way to be the being that joins heaven and earth. Now what does that remind you of? The being who joins heaven and earth. Who else was doing that? Christ. 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 Right. And that's why Christ is called the new Adam. Christ does what Adam failed to do. That's just an aside. Now let's talk about something we touched on earlier, which was um, humility and pride. And St. John of Damascus has this quote. Um, maybe we should continue the, the verse before we do that. Um, we are, uh, verse, what did we leave off? Eight. 
Verse 8. Let's, let's just finish the whole thing because it's important. He talks about what else he creates. So he creates man from the dust and then he becomes a living soul. Now we are on verse 8. Um, Athena, can you read verse 8? And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man he formed. Please. Besides this, God caused every tree beautiful to the sight and good for food to grow from the ground. Also in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of learning, the knowledge of good and evil. Now, okay. Thank you. <laughs> so this image of a garden <coughs> east, in Ed east of Eden and he places man in the garden. Today is interesting because today is a Saint Conan the gardener yeah. from Nazareth, who, a beautiful story, uh, this simple man who loved to garden and he planted his own food and he lived off his own food like Adam, right? Uh, and then he refuses to, to deny Christ and he's tortured and uh, martyred, uh, second, third century. Um, so God, so man, human beings have this special relationship to nature. And I think that's why whenever we're outside in nature, we feel really good. We feel like we're in our element. When we're cooped up in the house too long, we start feeling, or in our offices, start feeling kind of weird. Kind of, it's like, this, is this, this is not good. I got to get out. <laughs> Some fresh air. Uh, and of course, Adam lives not in a house, <laughs> with AC and, and heating and internet. But he lives in the garden outside. And he, he's not susceptible to the elements, you know, cold or heat. Everything is beautiful and harmonious. And in he, this is where he lives. I mean, and he, God places him there to take care of the garden, like a gardener, and to enjoy the fruits of the garden. He didn't need to eat in order to live like we do, but he would just simply delight in whatever he planted. Flowers, you know, vegetables, whatever it was. We don't really know. This is, but we know that it was on this very earth. It wasn't anywhere else. It was on this earth. And we even have the exact location, which is described next. Let's continue. Um, before, so, forgive me. Um, and in the garden, he puts this tree of life and the tree, two trees, one of tree of life and the tree of learning the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and then he tells us in the rest of it, now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. From there, it's separated into four heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It circles all the land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. The carbuncle and the emerald are there as well. The name of the second river is Gihon. It circles all the land of Ethiopia. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows over against the Assyrians. And the fourth river is Euphrates. So just by looking at that, we have these geographical markers of where the Garden of Eden was, where this place was. And this is a very literal description. He's using actual places that actually still exist. 
the Tigris, Euphrates, you know. We're generally talking about Mesopotamia, um, modern-day Iraq and Iran and Syria, those areas, where the actual physical Garden of Eden was located. All right? Um, but now let's, let's turn to this idea of God planting uh, the, the tree of life and the tree of learning the knowledge of good and evil. Um, why, what do those tree, two trees, what is their purpose? Why does God put them there? And what is their purpose? I have a quote here from St. John of Damascus, who was a saint of the church, church father, um, very early church father. He says this, In the midst, God planted a tree of life and a tree of knowledge. He planted the tree of knowledge as a sort of trial, test, and exercise of man's obedience and disobedience. It is either for this reason that it has been called the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or because it gave to those who partook of it the power to know their own nature, while which, while it is good for the perfect, it is bad for those who are less perfect and more given to their desires. As strong meat is those who are tender and still in need of milk. Do you understand what he's saying? So, God creates the tree of life and places it in the garden, in the midst of the garden, and also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And St. John of Damascus is saying, that tree of knowledge of good and evil was intended for Adam and Eve. Yet because they were infants still, spiritually, even though God created them, He had given them freedom. He had given them their own will. He had created them with all these powers. Yet they were still infants. They were just still newly formed. And they had, given, they had been given the capacity and the potential to grow in holiness, grow in divinity. Because it's, nothing, it's not static. They had been given that potential and they were, that was supposed to happen through a relationship. Just as when you meet a person for the first time, it takes a while to get to know them. The next thing you know, you trust them and you grow in love for them and you know them and then you're inseparable. You're building a relationship. This is what God desired to have with Adam. He didn't want Adam to just love him automatically and worship him automatically. No, it had to be authentic. It had to develop through Adam's own love for God authentically, right? And that takes time. And as Adam would have done that, he would have also grown in holiness. You see? So at this point, he's still an infant. He's just like your children are when they're still getting to know you. And as they grow. You see the parallels? It's everywhere. So this is why now the tree of knowledge of good and evil was intended for Adam and Eve to partake of when they were ready when they were ready for it, when they were perfect. They were not yet perfect. Because if they had been perfect, they would not have disobeyed. Do you see? 
People say, well, Adam and Eve were perfect. No, they were not. They were not perfect. They were created to become perfect. They, were, they didn't die. They didn't have sin yet. But they were not perfect. And what we mean by perfect is God. They were intended to become like God. Okay? Not God, but like God. You see, what, you see again what, how much God loves His creation. He's, he wants it to share in His glory. He wanted man to share in His divine glory. Higher than the angels. This is why the devil, Lucifer, is so jealous of us. Because God created human beings to be higher than the angels. Do you understand? That's why the devil hates us. Because we took his place. And he, the angels were created to serve us. Because now we are higher than them. You understand? That's the hierarchy God creates. And look how we act. And look how we act. Right. right. <laughs> again, after the fall, right? And the church is telling us, again, look who you were. Look at what you were given. And we've lost it and you can retain it. You can return to it. You can gain it again. You can become this way again through Christ through Christ. And the saints of the church are examples of that, how this is possible. The saints who live on this earth, who are still alive out, out in the world somewhere, prove our actual historical modern day proof that it is possible to become this way again. Of course, not fully because we are still on this side of the resurrection, this side of uh, the, um, history, if you will. But it shows us what God's power, His grace can do for those who seek after Him. What does it take? Humility. Humility. So let me continue what, see what St. John uh, of Damascus says. Because it gave to those who partook of it the power to know their own nature, which while it is good for the perfect, is bad for those who are less perfect and more given to their desires, as strong meat is to those who are tender, and in other words, young, and still in need of milk. For God who created us, listen to this, for God who created us did not want us to be, quote, careful and troubled about many things. Luke. This is a really great connection to Martha and Mary. God didn't want us to worry about these things, my nature and who I am. He wanted us to have simplicity. Nor to be anxious and concerned for our own life, which is just what happened to Adam. Thus, after he had eaten of the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he became aware of the fact that he was naked. He became aware of it. Whereas God before didn't want him to have to worry about that. He was, he was, it was not knowledge for him yet. But he, because he partook of it too early, it had a distorting effect. It had an opposite effect than what God intended for that knowledge to give him. And, you, and this again, like us, right? Like you might learn something at a young age you shouldn't have learned. You might see something at a young age you shouldn't have seen. And it corrupts you. You see? We're very sensitive beings. Um, 
Thus, after he had eaten, he became aware of the fact that he was naked. God wanted us to be dispassionate in this way, for that is passionlessness to the highest degree. It doesn't mean he wanted us to be sort of ignorant and absent-minded or not in touch with who we are, but it, he wanted us not to worry about those things, to have absolute trust in God, in him, that everything he's created is how it should be, and not to sort of step aside and start rationally analyzing things. Why did God made me this way? Why is this this way? Why is that, right? And questioning the wisdom of God. But by humbling ourselves and completely trusting in God and we experiencing Him, we realize His power and His wisdom. That knowledge is not rational knowledge now, but it is relationship knowledge that comes to how I am experiencing Him. I don't need to question anything. Just like I don't need to question your loyalty to me as my friend. I experience it. I'm not going to sit and I think, well, wait a minute, why did, does Dennis, is Dennis really my friend? Did he really, is, does he really want to come to the Bible? I'm not going to do that because I have a relationship. You see? Yeah, I understand. So, this is the freedom God gives us. He wants us to really authentically know him and love him. God wanted us to be dispassionate in this way. He also wanted us to be free from care and to have but one task, that of the angels, which is unceasingly and unremittingly to sing the praises of the Creator and to rejoice in contemplating Him. He also wanted us to cast our cares upon Him. In the Gospels, too, when teaching his own disciples, Jesus says, Do not be anxious for your life, what you shall eat, nor for your body, what you shall put on. The same message. It's because it's the same God. Now, turning to the tree of life. The tree of life was either a tree possessing a life-giving force or a tree that was to be eaten of only by such as were worthy of life and not subject to death. Man had the indwelling God as a dwelling place and wore him as a glorious garment wrapped about with his grace. In the enjoyment of that one most sweet fruit, which is the contemplation of God, and by this he was nourished. So Adam wasn't nourished by the food he planted in the garden, but by the presence of God. Nourished by God. What does that remind you of? Holy Communion. You see? Again, everything God provides us with everything. So, let's continue the reading in the Genesis. Who would like to read? What happens next? Uh, verse, let's go to verse 15. Okay. Yes. Then the Lord God took the man he formed and put him in the garden to 
hand and keep it. And the Lord God commanded Adam, saying, You may eat food from every tree in the garden, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you may not eat. For in whatever day you eat from it, you shall die by death. Mm. Go ahead. Yes, die by death. And the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Also God formed out of the ground all the wild animals of the field and all the birds of the heaven and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Thank you. Do you know if that's the... um Sort of like the literal Hebrew, die by death. Do you know if that's the case? That's a good question. I can look it up. Um, it's a good, if it is, it's beautiful with the, you know, through uh, trampling on death by death. Mm. He dies by death. Mm. Christ gives life through um, death, mm. death by death. Yeah, that's Sorry, a nice connection. If it's actually Hebrew too. That's a great connection. Die by death and uh, destroying death by death. Um, Yes, there perhaps is a good connection there. And now we have this beautiful image of Eve being created. Um, go ahead. Um, so, Adam is created from the earth, but Eve is created from Adam. That's a really interesting mm-hmm. thing we forget about. <laughs> right? Or if... <laughs> that is interesting. And there's a beautiful verse I, I heard once that talked about how God made Adam, uh, God made Eve from Adam's side. Rib. Yeah. Not from um, his head so that she would be above him. Not from his feet, so that she would trample on him. He would trample, but side by side, right? Is that beautiful? So that, she, so that he would place his arm around her and, sh- and shelter her and keep her and protect her and care for her, love her. That's the image. Um, and it's the same image of Christ on the cross being pierced in the side, and from there comes out Blood and water, that is the church. The church is born from his side. And again, the image of the Eucharist, blood and baptism, the water. The water of baptism, the blood of the Eucharist comes out from his side. He gives it to us and thereby establishes the church. And we use water in Holy Communion. And Holy Communion, we have a little bit of water to warm the chalice. But exactly, the waters of baptism. So you see birth and rebirth, and the church is the new Eve, and Adam, uh, Christ is the new Adam. It's this beautiful relationship, again, to go back to that word. You see the connection? And and it's it's made so clear in the New Testament Mm -hmm. because Jesus shows how important women are. And Uh and so he, he quantifies and says... You know, it's not like this. Uh-huh. It, is, it like is absolutely equal. Sometimes uh-huh. it's like this. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a give and take. 
But it, he clearly says that God creates Eve to be his helper. His helper. In other words, she can only help him if she has the exact same capabilities, right? In terms of her rational powers and everything else. She's not deficient, right? She is an equal. She's created as an equal. She creates, but she is created from his side, from a rib, okay? And there's all kinds of things we can, uh, the church fathers, we don't have time, but uh, maybe next time, these beautiful explanations of the significance of that. We mentioned Christ's side and how that is the birth of the, the church when he's pierced. But also somehow uh, that there is now, Adam's missing something. And in order for him to be again fulfilled, he has to be joined right, to a wife, to an other. He, by himself, he's alone, and that's not good. But in relationship with an other person, he is fulfilled, he is complete. And this is why God establishes marriage between a husband and a wife, to create a special bond of this relationship so that the two may become again, again, one flesh. Complete. Complete. Now, the same applies not only between husband and wife, male and female, which is how God ordained it and how it must remain. This is why the church is absolutely against any kind of homosexual relationships, because they are against his law and against nature. And there is no actual relationship possible in the way God intended it, but it's purely a sexual and emotional relationship, which is, again, of the earth. Do you see? Um, we're talking about a whole other level of relationship that has to do with our very being, not only our thoughts and feelings. That's at the human level. We're talking about an existential level, our entire being. So, he creates her. Now, marriage is one way of having this relationship. But these kinds of relationship, this bond can be between friends. It could be between mother and son, son and father, cousins, friends, strangers. The homeless man on the street, I can have that encounter, that, un that union with another human being so that I am complete. You understand? That is what we're saying here. Man alone is not man, only in relationship with another person, be it a wife, a friend, or the homeless person on the street. Are you truly human is when you have made that encounter and have made that relationship then you are truly human and thereby truly living up to your potential. And again, that requires humility because it requires me to say, I need someone else. I'm not going to be on my own. I need help. I need a helper. I need to be joined to someone else in this way. Um, so let's move in the remaining time to Proverbs chapter 3. So in Isaiah we had um, clearly a warning and a real kind of uh, 
exposing this thing that is in human beings to be very possessive, to make idols for themselves, to worship things of this world and material things and be proud and, and forget about God. Right? This is what human beings do. Some people do this still today, of course. And when God comes again in the second coming, all that will be revealed. And fear and terror will grip these people because they'll realize that they've worshipped creation instead of the Creator. They've not lived up to who they were, what they were supposed to be, as we saw Adam was created to be. And what a tragedy, because you have, you know, uh, given up something so far greater for something so insignificant and meaningless. That's what we do. And we still do it. And so that's because of pride, which is a passion, which is a corruption of our nature uh, that came from the fall. And so here in the book of Proverbs, uh, we have this what's called wisdom literature. And beautiful instructions and sayings uh, that tell us a little bit how to live, how to change, how to think, how to act.